Good afternoon, folks. Welcome to the podcast of the Lotus Eaters for the 10th of October, 2023. Uh, I'm joined by Bo and Dan, and Hello. we're going to be talking about what has happened recently in Israel. Now, before we begin, I apologize. I have a bit of a case of the sniffles, so I'll do my best not to cough and splutter, but I may not be able to avoid it. And we are going to try and make sure that this coverage is sensitive and um, neutral. Seem to object to well, that. Well, no, no, not objection. No, it's just where possible, if possible, where, where, sort of impossible. Yeah, where, where possible. It's a minefield, right? Yeah. We, we are we're, definitely not going to make everybody happy with this one. It's impossible with a subject like this. No. So before we begin, should we talk about our particular investment in the subject? Um, because I have to be honest, I don't really want to have anything to do with the Middle East. Um, on a personal level, I'm not particularly invested in one side or another. That's not to say that I am in favor of one side killing the other or anything like that. Um, it's just such a horrific minefield. I don't want to get involved. Is how I feel about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm neither a Muslim nor a Jew, <laughs> or Jewish person. Sorry, let's say Jewish people instead of Jew. Right. Lest I incur the terrifying wrath of Michael Rappaport. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, not really invested. Obviously, I'm a history fan. Yeah. So uh, and ancient history as well is really my forte. So it, it, it's uh, the history of it is. It's sort of endlessly interesting to me, but the actual fighting on the ground, it's, you know, I don't have a, 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 a dog in the game. If you like. So um, that's where I come to it. I feel very much like an outside observer here. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I mean this is something I've, I've followed for many years, and I, I'd say that, you know, with maturity comes looking at it with a little bit more nuance. I think it's very easy sometimes to look at these and just put people into categories and just say, okay, the Israelis. Uh, the Gazans, as if you know, as if these are you know gestalt entities with a single mind, you know actually what you have got here is a group of interests, factions, individuals, um, and they are basically being treated as a collective, and it is it has entered this blood feud which is horrendous, quite frankly. That's a really good point, actually. Should, we should probably say right off the bat mm. um, is that within both the Arab and Israeli camps, mm. it's actually a, a patchwork quilt of all different things uh it's sort of endlessly complicated almost um just all arabs don't think the same thing yeah right even all jewish people israelis there's a vast spectrum of different opinions it's very important when you look at the factions at this at a minimum to do something like distinguish the israeli people from the israeli government and even within the israeli government of course you've got the factions you've got the neocons and you've got various other groups within that and of course in gaza um you've got to bear in mind that the hamas in gaza when they're not killing jews they're killing other people in Gaza who oppose them. So it's, it's, it's not like anybody here has a collective identity. Mm. Yeah. I mean, just for example, on the, 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 the Jewish side, you've got people in Israel who are sort of, um, you know, on one end of the spectrum, the sort of pro-Oslo agreement type, can't we all live together, can buy our types. Yeah. All the way to the other end of the spectrum, sort of ultra-Orthodox yeah. ultra who don't even recognize Israel. Israel itself is, isn't good enough. So, no. uh, yeah, a vast array of opinions. And obviously on the Muslim side, you, it's probably even more, there's an even bigger diversity of thought. Yeah, perhaps, certainly. Perhaps. Okay, so with that said, should we get into the events of what has happened in the last few days? Yeah. Um, so on Saturday the 7th of October at about 6.30am, Hamas announced the start of its latest Operation Alaska 
flood, I believe they call it. And it started that with firing 5,000 rockets um, from the Gaza Strip into Israel. They also launched a large number of militants across the border through various means. Uh, a lot of those initially converged on the kibbutz, um, small sort of communal farms that were, were based around the Gaza Strip, where they began a combination of indiscriminate killings, um, mur- you know, um, murders, rapes, I mean, everything, as well as a lot of hostage taking. That hostage taking includes at least nine Americans, 10 Brits, and also a range of other nationalities. Um, the, um, the murders, the indiscriminate killings have been quite indiscriminate. They've included families, you know, women, children. I've seen some truly horrific videos of ro- a room full of mostly children slaughtered. Um, there was uh, paragliders landing amongst a, a music festival, again, a very international crowd where at least 260 people were killed. Now, at this stage, and these numbers are going to move. Provisional. Yeah, these provisional numbers are that we think at least 900 um, Israelis were killed and another 2,500 were injured, in some cases very severely. Um, And it's going to include whole families. So um, we've got this tweet here. So this is a um, family. Um, If you're you're listening to this, this is uh, mother and father. Uh, We've got... um, Two girls here, I think both aged, uh, what was it about? Yeah, two, two daughters aged six and, and, a, and a four-year-old son. This entirely, entire family was wiped out. Um, there are um, many cases um, like this one, but I wanted to give you a, a, a face to, to put to some of this. Now, I mentioned that hostages have been taken. Um, I watched before I came on a um, um, horrible video of, a, 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 of an Israeli father whose wife and two daughters, um, aged five and three, uh, have been taken as hostage back into Gaza. Uh, and he's, he's now making videos, social media videos, begging Hamas to let him trade places with them, or, or at least his children. Um, we've got here a video of, um, this is one of the Israeli boys who has been um, taken back into Gaza. It's a, it looks like to be about a, a four or five year old boy, and he's been handed over to the Palestinian children, and the Palestinian children are being encouraged to um, pull on his hair, to beat him with sticks, um, and and this one is actually a relatively mild video, even though we we filtered it out. Um, you can imagine um, what might be going on to some of the people um, in Gaza at the moment, um, especially the women, because of course we saw we saw women being dragged around. Um, on the back of pickup trucks, having been, um, you know, uh, assaulted, um, you know, very severely. Now, the Isra- the, the, the Gazans, that, that Hamas, um, have said that they will start executing these hostages um, one at a time on video if any um, bombings occur. Now, there have been bombings, and I'm not sure what the state of those hostages are. That, that remains an unknown at this point. Um, that they, They've got at least 100 of them. Now, the response to this... Um, as you can imagine, this is given the, the shocking nature of this. Um, you know, this is this is one take. This is um, Doctor. Uh, just David. just before we go on, um, I think one thing that was particularly shocking about this was the pride with which Hamas was taking yes. with the attack itself. They were there was so much footage of the victims of this uh, being proudly broadcasted by Hamas themselves. And I think that's really what one of the reasons people are so just surprised is the level of savagery. And, and there's numerous examples of um, Israelis being killed and then them f- taking the phone of the person 
and locating the contact mother and just ringing up and gloating about I've just killed your children. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty awful. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure why anyone who's aware of Hamas or extreme Islamism, why you'd be all that surprised. I mean, Hamas, for example, it's the implacable enemies of the state of Israel. It's sort of, it's their raison d'etre. It's in their charter. To destroy Israel. Um, so... Well, not surprised by the actions of Gaza, uh, sorry, actions of Hamas, but um, it, it is shocking. But know, to, to people in the West. Yeah, yeah. I'm not you, saying it's not shocking, yeah. but to be surprised or taken unawares that that's yeah. what they are. Because this sort of thing has happened in Europe, you know, the Bataclan murders, for example, in, in Paris, but, but this was happening, you know, at scale. But, um, but the thing is, with, with what has happened in Europe and when Europe goes to war, we don't parade around the victims of the people no. and say, look at how destroyed and humiliated and su- how much suffering we've created on purpose. Yeah. And the Western media does everything they can to kind of hide or conceal that when that happens in like the Bataclan massacre and things like this. Yeah. They, they do everything they can to conceal that because, well, for many reasons, and I'm not even going to speculate now I think about it. But uh, And so this the fact that this has just been boom straight out on social media, so someone's eating their breakfast and suddenly they've got some Hamas militant gloating over the raped and desecrated corpse of an Israeli girl. Um, pretty shocking stuff, and I can understand why it's really upset a lot of people. Yeah, and, and we'll come on to this later, but it, it may have been a deliberate tactic to make it as shocking yeah. um, as, it, as it could be. I mean, but, but there certainly there was glee yeah. um, from, from those doing this. So, so this is a tweet from, um, I, I believe he's a tech guy. Can we, can we hover over the, the profile? I think he's a... Um, um, yeah, so, so I, I'm not sure if he's Silicon Valley or um, or otherwise, but this is um, you know a, a Jewish guy I believe in Silicon Valley who's a, who's a, who's a tech um, investor, and and this sort of response is um, you, you can go to the tweet now. Uh, this sort of response is an example of some of the strength of feeling him. Mean, he he's calling here to to basically Dresden, um, uh, Gaza. What what what's Dresden a a, a reference to, Bo? Oh, well, it was it was uh, heavily bombed right at the end of World War Two, uh, and there was a firestorm, fire bombing, incendiary bombing, and as you can see from that picture, very largely destroyed. You know, so, a type of, of uh, carpet bombing type thing. Some of the accounts are awful as well. I remember reading one account of a, I think it was a woman who came out from underneath, uh, out of a bunker or shelter or cellar or something, and the street itself is just on fire and melting, and she like falls over and. The, the cobblestones have melted and the hand goes into it. And so it's like, I wouldn't wish that on anyone, even my worst enemies. And so... Yeah, Dres- Dresden is, yeah. Well, was, was, was an awful set of events. And to basically call for this to happen to Gaza is <coughs> both understandable given what he has just witnessed on his social media feed, but it's also completely barking insane. Yeah. Well, the thing about Dresden um, is that obviously a lot of completely innocent people yes. uh, were incinerated in that. Um, well, now, the vast majority would have uh, well, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Any living thing. Yes. Uh, men, women, children, animals, the whole lot. Um, the thing about Gaza City or the Gaza Strip is it's um, extremely densely populated. I think there's just a shade over yeah. two million people there. That's right. It's one of the most densely populated places. Oh, I think it's just a shade. Oh, anyway, there are millions. Extremely densely populated. Well, and, and also, do you know that, that half of them are children? It's got a very low age profile, Gaza. Mm. So, so half of those two million are children. 
And although they did vote for Hamas in 2006... Um, Some of them did. But right, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Not all of them did. Um, I know there's a, 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 a lot of them that are uh, yes. essentially um, yeah. innocent. So, were, were vehemently opposed to, to Hamas, yeah. yeah so yeah. Well, certainly nearly all the children, or all the children, yes. will be innocent. So to call for them to get Dresden... Yeah, and, and, and this is my concern. Yeah. Those events that we witnessed were utterly horrific and inhuman and all the rest of it. No one denies that. But you can't call for collective punishment. Let's go to the next one, um, which is... Um, no, sorry, the, the Sophie one. So... <laughs> I'll let you do it, John. I'll let you do it. So um, Israel has um, decided to cut off the water and electricity supply into um, Gaza. This is this is an example of a very low resolution take that I that I have issue with. Uh, she says, so if you go into a country, rape, murder, kidnap their women and their elderly, their children, and parade their dead bodies on trucks and celebrate that, don't cry victim when they shut off your water or electricity supply. Uh, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Yeah, but the things what what she's done there is is this classic thing here is she's reduced all of Gaza down to a single mind, a single entity. You know, if you go into a country, you know, don't cry when this then happens to you. The point is, is, is the water and electricity is not just getting shut off for the people who support Hamas. It's getting shut off for the people who have opposed them throughout as well. Mm. Um, now, you've got to bear in mind that this, this Gaza Strip is basically next to a desert. This is yeah. not the sort of place where you want to be without water for very long. Yeah. You don't want to be anywhere without water, but you, you certainly don't want to be there. Um, it's insanely punitive to shut off the water. Yeah, I mean, I can understand why they're doing it, but it is... It's, hard, it's hardly going to... Because I, I would have thought the strategy would try and be to attack the legitimacy of Hamas in Palestine. Uh, I think shutting off the water for the Gaza Strip is probably not going to be doing that. If anything, it's going to make the, the argument from Hamas probably seem stronger. The, the Israelis want to, the Jewish state wants to wipe you out. And, oh, look, they're going to make you all die first. Well, th th this is the entire cycle of violence thing. So, you know, let's say that, you know, you, you were a 10-year-old boy back in 2006 when, that, when, ha when Hamas came into power and your dad was strongly opposed to Hamas and he brought you up the right way and he said, don't believe this, this nonsense propaganda that you're getting thrown at you all the time to hate the Jews and all the rest of it. Um, and then, um, you know, Hamas um, were basically set up in your apartment building, in your apartment building, got airstruck and your, your dad died. Mm. Right? And you, you're now, you then are taken and raised amongst a Hamas morting family. Um, and they constantly remind you your dad was killed by the Israelis. And you know, what, what is that kid going to turn out to do? And that kid, that kid, that hypothetical could have been one of the ones racing into Israel, murdering them. So, you know, with the best will in the world. This is a cycle of violence that keeps on escalating. It has keep on escalating. We, we we come into some of the background on that because I do think that um, Hamas, uh, well, Hamas overwhelmingly deserved the blame on this, um, yeah. but it is a process of ratchet that has gone on um, ever since they, they they came to power. Um, I will also point out, I don't have a link for it, but um, Benjamin Netanyahu, the, the Prime Minister of Israel, has said, um, and I'm, I'm going to read a quote from him here. By the end of the war, all our enemies will know it was a terrible mistake to attack Israel. Now, let me just stress that bit again. By the end of the war, all our enemies will know. He didn't say, by the end of the war, Hamas will know. Mm. He says, all of our enemies will know. And I think we need to come on a bit later to what he might have meant by that. But basically, heads up, I think he means Iran. No, that, that, that could no be doubt. where this is going. Um, he further went on to say, 
uh, what we will do to our enemies will echo for generations. So, you know, they're, 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 not, they're not messing around. As I mentioned earlier, within a three-hour period, there were 130 airstrikes on Gaza. Now, it is a densely populated area. If you, if you airstrike into Gaza, because Hamas have a habit of integrating their military facilities with um, civilians, when you do this, you, you end up killing civilians. I know that's not the Israelis' intention. They're not trying to do it, but it happens. Um, nonetheless, this is a video of um, uh, a guy carrying the, bo- the, the, the body of his, of his dead daughter. Um, now, I, I have no idea who this guy is. Um, maybe he's a diehard Hamas supporter. Maybe he isn't. Um, he's certainly not a Hamas militant, I would imagine, because um, he would have been in Israel um, if he was. Um, but one thing I am damn certain of is that, <coughs> whatever that is, six-year-old girl, I'm pretty certain she wasn't a Hamas militant. Um, now, this is, this is also heartbreaking. This is, this is also awful. Um, for all we know, this family was, was dead set against any of this taking place, but now they've been wrapped up in it as well. And, you know, if, if, you know, it, it is this side, it is this sort of action that just results in this getting more and more extreme, um, every year as it goes, as it, as it goes by. And, and then a final tweet while I'm wrapping up the, the current events is, um, basically somebody who, who claims to have connections to this. It's probably right. He's, he says, I'm talking to my sources in the IDF special forces. There's going to be a huge retaliate, retaliation. Over a hundred thousand Israeli soldiers already on the border with Gaza. Um, and, and they think that that's going to go up to quarter of a million soldiers and they're going to push into Gaza and go street to street. Now, in somewhere as densely populated as Gaza, street to street fighting is going to be a, a militant dream. Yeah, well, it's the only option they've got really to actually do significant military damage to the Israeli army. Mm. I mean, it's like urban combat in the modern age is just the worst. Yeah. So. I don't envy anyone getting involved in it. And, and that's what's going to be going. So, so that's the background on the last couple of days. Bo, did you want to give us a bit of perspective on the last couple of millennia? <clears throat> that's not too... Just, uh, just summarise about 5,000 years, Bo. Where to begin? <laughs> right, well, one of the things I thought of saying is, um, although there's the West Bank and there's the Gaza Strip and the State of Israel, I think one of the most important things to sort of try and wrap your mind around, your head around, is essentially the fact that both factions, both sides, both religions, consider the same bit of land to be theirs by divine right. Um, so Judaism is the much older religion. Yeah, of course, yeah. 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 Um, so, and, and there was a Jewish state there for, well, a long time. Yeah, yeah. Before I go back to sort of uh, recap some of the ancient history, I want to say a word about uh, the Temple Mount. Um, So in Jerusalem, in East Jerusalem, there's a big open bit of ground, about 30, 35 acres square. Um, It's called the Temple Mount, or the the Muslims call it uh, the Al-Aqsa compound. And in there, is the Dome of the Rock, the famous, you, everyone will have, be aware of it, the Golden Dome of the Rock, which is a shrine. And then near it, right near it, is a, a big mosque, the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And at the side of, of that Temple Mount um, is the remains of the Western Wall 
the second temple, um, the, the Jewish most holy second temple, uh, the, the Wailing Wall, you would have seen. So this yeah. was it destroyed by Hadrian? Titus. Titus, right. 70 AD. Um, now, even though Hamas are in a specific to the Gaza Strip, you can see even on their logo, their emblem, there's the Dome of the Rock is on it. So this is an absolutely key thing. Um, under the Dome of the Rock, or in the Dome of the Rock shrine, there's, a, there's a, a, an, an open bit of ground where there's the, the rock, the bedrock, which is the very, very top, the most pinnacle point of Mount Moria. So in Jerusalem, there's three, there's three rivers, but two of them particularly form or create a, a ridge line. And going back to the age of King David, of David and Goliath fame, um, the Jewish people decided that that was sort of extremely sacred. In fact, it's the spot where Abraham was supposed to have, uh, the, the so-called binding of Isaac, where God asked Abraham to kill his own son. And when God saw that Abraham was prepared to do it, sort of let him off. He could uh, sacrifice a lamb instead. That spot, now to some Jewish people, all of them, um, it depends how orthodox they are. But a lot of them consider that to be sort of the center of the world, the center of the universe even. It's that spot at the pinnacle of Mount Moria. Now in uh, Islamic tradition, they consider that the spot where Muhammad ascended to heaven right. on a winged horse creature. Oh, is that when he cut the moon in half with the sword? Or uh, there's, there's all sorts of um, I think it was after that. connected to it. Yeah. So in other words... It's, it's extremely, extremely sacred to both of them. Yes. The, the exact same spot. Um, now, in the Arab-Israeli conflict, there's just endless layers to the onion of conflict. But at the very bottom of it, you could argue, is that, or well, that's one of them, that's one of the key sticking points, is that that one spot under the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem, in East Jerusalem, in, in the Al-Aqsa compound on Temple Mount, um, that they both absolutely covered it. Um, now that is something which would be very, very, very difficult, possibly impossible to ever, to, it's a dilemma, right? You could, it's, it might be impossible to ever square that circle. So, so, um, so what, what you're saying is, is both sides want exclusive access to? Basically, it's a bit more complicated than that. So, um, well, Shall I go back and do some a bit of ancient yeah. history? A little bit of background, a little bit of context to it. So yes, Judaism is much older than Islam. Um, if you go back to the truly ancient world, a thousand years BC plus, when the Assyrian kings, the king of kings, and the, the Egyptian pharaohs ruled the known world, if we go back to those t times. Uh, we're told there was 12 tribes of Israel you know, you've got what, like the Dan, the Levi, the Reuben, the Benjamins, so on. There was a King Saul and eventually King David, again, of David and Goliath fame. Um, Just they, as a quick thing, yeah. like King David's supposed to have lived about 800 BC, something like that, isn't it? Well, it's about 1,000 BC, pretty much on 1,000 right. BC. Okay. I've, seen, I've seen like you know, ranges, but... Supposed to have lived. Yeah. Um, and uh, at that point, the Jewish people had uh, sort of a, a movable tabernacle, the tabernacle of, of Moses. And David decides he's going to create a, a temple, the first temple. 
And he decided to put it on, the, basically build it on the, the top of Mount Moria, which is today where the Al-Aqsa compound is. Um, then his son, Solomon, basically builds the temple, finishes, finishes the temple, and that's the first temple. Um, now, we know when we did the episode on, one of the episodes on the uh, Assyrians, mm-hmm. uh, people, if you've seen that one, might remember we talked about the episode when Sennacherib um, invades the kingdoms of Israel and Judah and uh, the, the, the Lachish, the siege of Lachish, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the many sieges of Jerusalem that there's, there's, there have been. And uh, King Hezekiah or Zedekiah um, successfully just about defends it, perhaps with an intervention from God himself. Um, so, um, then you go on, there's, there's been so much, even Alexander, Alexander the Great in the 300s BC, um, did a siege of Gaza, right? He ended up capturing the king of Gaza and dragging him around behind his, his chariot. Um, so, so who, who was style. the king of Gaza? Was, I mean, he, he wasn't a Jew then, he was a... He would have been. Oh, he would have been. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Anyway, um, I can't remember the name of the king of Gaza that Alexander ended up dragging behind his chariot, Achilles style. Um, yeah. But the point is, I mean, Alexander's largely bypassed uh, Jerusalem, it seems. It's, it's hardly mentioned in Arian and Curtius, the main accounts of the campaigns of Alexander. Because the reason I ask is one of the key claims that you get on both sides is that they basically accuse the other of being an interloper. You know, but right. they've always been there first. Well, I'm so, still talking uh, about long before the age yeah. of Muhammad. Yeah. I mean, so I missed out there. Um, I can only hit the highlights here. <laughs> yeah. um, um, what, what? Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, mm. um, destroyed the first temple. It was he that was supposed to have destroyed Solomon's temple. Mm. Um, a few generation or two later, um, uh, well, Darius releases, allows a lot of uh, Jewish people to return to to Jerusalem, where they rebuild a temple, the second temple. Um, eventually, during, I mean, Pompey invades, uh, invades um, that part of the world, does a lot of damage. But it wasn't until Titus in 70 AD, where Titus, Vespasian's son, um, destroyed the second temple, absolutely razed it, <coughs> apparently used the site as a rubbish dump, a literal, actual rubbish dump. Um, that didn't put an end to uh, revolts in Judea, the Roman province of Judea, even in the age of Hadrian. So again, what is that? 40, 50 odd years later, something like in that ballpark. Um, again, Hadrian sort of did a number on them. Uh, I'm reminded of a tweet by Brett Weinstein uh, flipping the bird to the, uh, the, the Arch, Arch of Titus, Titus in Rome. Yeah. So there's some Long Jewish memories. people to this day um, hold it against the ancient Romans to have done such things. Um, so yeah, um, talk about holding a grudge. I mean, mm. I wouldn't go and flip off Mont Saint Michel because William the Conqueror's harrying of the North. But yes. there you go, each to their own, I suppose. Um, through to, I mean, we can really only hit the highlights here. But through to the Middle Ages, you know, you've got sort of um, well, the, it, oh, sorry. Let's start. Let's go with the age of Muhammad then. So his um, the date of his death is usually given as six thirty two. Is that right? I think something like that. Something. So anyway. In the 7th century AD, um, Islamic armies um, overtook what we would call the Holy Land and um, built their shrine. I mean, the Dome of the Rock and the, the, the mosque of uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque dates from the very late 600s. So, you know, fairly shortly after, a generation or two after Muhammad is supposed to have lived. 
But nonetheless, the Dome of the Rock is one of the oldest buildings in the Islamic tradition. Uh, it's the third most holy site after the Great Mosque in Mecca and the, the Mosque of the Prophet in Medina. Um, so, you know, you can see there's hundreds of years has passed between the destruction of the Second Temple by Titus and the building of the Dome of the Rock in the late 600s. Was it the Umayyad Caliphate, Caliphate uh, Caliph built, built that? So there's quite a few hundred years have passed in that time. Yes. Nevertheless, from that point onwards, both faiths claim it as, as absolutely sacred. You know? um, so through the Middle Ages, we've got, um, let's talk about the Frankish crusaders invading that part of the land, that part of the world. Um, of course, as Christians, they were less interested in um, the, the, the site of the, the Jewish temple or the or the, any mosque, they were interested in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Mm. In fact, the Knights Templar, the temple, as referred to as in the name of the Templars, is Temple Mount. Yes. So all three of the, of the Abrahamic traditions absolutely revere Jerusalem, parts yeah. of Jerusalem. I mean, this is the land of Jesus. There's no way around so. it. Right. Mm. I mean, um, if you, if you ever go to Jerusalem or Israel, it's just filled with, with holy sites, absolutely filled with it everywhere you go. I mean, Bethlehem is just south of yeah. of um, You can of see Jerusalem. it on the map there. Right, yeah. It's, where where it's, Jesus was apparently born. So. It's right there. Um, yeah, I mean, Jesus was supposed to have been executed just outside Jerusalem, isn't it? Yeah. So, so okay. After the Crusaders were booted out by Saladin, um, yeah, it took again many hundred years nearly right. uh, for the Crusades to finally come to an end. Yeah, so. yeah. Ultramar, the land where the, the, yeah. the Franks controlled all different kingdoms up and down the Levant. Um, eventually the Ottomans, they, we'd have to, just have to skip ahead, <laughs> just montage through the centuries. Um, eventually that part of the world comes under Ottoman control. And of course, their sultans sat in Constantinople, Istanbul, modern-day Turkey. They controlled it for a long time. Now, where this story, we can start getting a bit more resolution on it, I think, perhaps, is World War I. I've said this before in various epochs at various times. That our modern world is in lots and lots of ways, in many, many ways, an echo, a reflection of what happened during World War I and after. And the Middle East or the Near East, you should probably call it the Near East rather than the Middle East, um, it is no, absolutely no exception. So the Ottomans controlled everything from, um, from Constantinople all the way down to all of Arabia, past Medina, down into sort of Yemen, basically. Now, one of my favorite or most interesting personalities from history is, and I've said this a, number, a great number of times, is T.E. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia. And that story is really where the British Empire helped the Arabs to shake off Ottoman control. That's what that story is yeah. in World War I. Now, we, the British Empire, already controlled Egypt. So we'd already kicked the Ottomans out of Egypt in the 19th century. Um, that's with the reconquest of Sudan and Omdurman and all that sort of thing and Gordon, all that sort of thing. So we tried to attack across the Sinai up into Gaza in earlier, earlier on in World War I and failed. A couple of times they tried sort of Western Front style frontal attacks on Gaza 
but coming and, and from, failed. from Egypt. Co- yeah, coming from the south, essentially. Okay. I mean, it's quite south. difficult because there's a lot of desert to go through. Mm. Yeah, and the Sinai Desert's uh, no joke. <coughs> right, yeah. We tried that, and uh, but the Ottomans um, actually were quite good fighters, <laughs> and they had a lot of help from the Germans. <laughs> because, well, if, everyone, if it's not obvious, the Ottomans were on the German side in World War I. Um, now, uh, we failed to take Gaza a few times in sort of these frontal attacks, and we decided to sort of change tack a bit. We decided to get intelligence services, people like Lawrence of Arabia, to, to get involved with the, the Arabs, sort of the true Arabs in the middle of Arabia. There's, so there's the, the sheriff, uh, uh, the sharif of, of Mecca, King Hussein, later king of the Hejaz. The Hejaz is on the, the uh, western side of Arabia. And we help them. They're sort of um, true Bedouin types, you know? So today we talk about the Palestinians being Arab. Now, it's a, it's a difficult, it's a, it's a bit more nuanced than that. Okay, so um, they are sort of ethnically, you would say, Arab, but they're not the same thing as, as Bedouin, Central Arabian type Arabs, not exactly. Okay. So the Near East is really a patchwork of all different types of people. You know, so you're saying the, that they're kind of their own thing. Well, well, yeah. I mean, it's like it's it's like confusing an Englishman with a Spaniard. It's not. Right. It's not quite. We're not quite the same thing, are we? Yes. We're sort of very similar ethnically. Um, we might have the okay, same cause, religion. Because that's a, that's the thing I really wanted to ask not you. So, the same. Yeah. So so often you hear the claims that um, okay, yes, maybe. Um, Judea used to be a, a Jewish kingdom, but then they left it, um, and then they only came back afterwards and tried to throw off the people that were already there. Um, but my understanding is that's not the case. There has been continuous occupation, sorry, a continuous presence of the Jews there, but it was only really after the Second World War that you got the mass influx. Well, after came. the First World War. First World and War. And then another massive influx yes. straight after World War II. Yeah. That's right. And, and, and the same um, thing with the, with the Palestinian people, because... It's, it's easy to be suspicious of that because, for example, the, the most famous Palestinian, Yasser Arafat, I mean, he was an Egyptian. Right. Um, but ha- is, is there an identifiable, and I think you were talking about it there, an identifiable Palestinian group that has been in this area for sure. a long period? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, there's people that are, sort of, if you want, for, for a better expression, indigenous people mm. of Arab descent there. Yeah. So I was just going to say then, just quickly, a montage through it even quicker. Yes. Um, we eventually, the, the British Empire and um, the, sort of the Bedouin Arabs, with the help of Lawrence of Arabia, eventually push all the way up into the Levant, what is modern-day Israel, basically. Um, and the, it was under the command of, of Field Marshal Edmund Allenby, first Viscount Allenby, Allenby. Very interesting, fascinating figure. I'd like to do an epoch talk about the life and career of, of Allenby. Yeah. Um, Lloyd George said he wanted, he wanted him to take Jerusalem in time for Christmas 1917 as a present to the people of England. That always comes up in time for Christmas, the amount of times that comes up in history. So eventually we did, take... Did, did, did take it work Jer- this time? Oh, yeah, yeah. We got there just in time oh, for really? Christmas. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. Famous picture of him entering Jerusalem on foot. Yeah. Because he thought it wouldn't be proper to enter on horseback. Mm. Um, and actually T. Lawrence is right there beside him uh, but they push far beyond that in the end all the way up to Damascus okay. um, now that King Hussein of, of Mecca he had uh, four or five sons but three important ones Faisal who's played by Sir Alec Guinness in the film Lawrence of Arabia 
um, Faisal, who ends up, we, we end up making him king of Iraq, the newly formed Iraq, what used to be just, just be called Mesopotamia. Um, he had another son, uh, Zaid, who went on to become a sort of prince of Iraq and Syria. It's a bit complicated. But another one, Abdullah, who became king of um, Jordan, I believe. So anyway, this family, now connected to the Hashemite families, um, uh, we ended up basically um, partitioning this whole part of the world. Now, people talk about the Science-Pico Agreement. Well, at Versailles, they didn't end up really going with the Science-Pico Agreement exactly. But nevertheless, um, the Near East sort of gets partitioned between the French. This is very low resolution, between the French and the British. And we ended up taking control of Palestine. It's called the British Mandate in Palestine. All throughout the interwar but period. When, when we gave it that name, Palestine, we basically just said, yeah, all of that, including what's, what's Israel. So we, we just called the whole thing Basically. Palestine. Yeah, yeah. The British mandate in Palestine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, must mention the Balfour Declaration, where the Foreign Secretary at the time, Balfour, wrote a letter to Lord Rothschild saying we support a, a, some sort of Jewish state in this region. But so that's the thing. The, the British, Lloyd George, made promises to both sides. He sort of yeah. promised the Arabs that they would have various states in that region. Yeah. And, but Balfour also promised Jewish people something as well. So it's very difficult. Anyway, through the, um, <coughs> the interwar years, um, both the Arab Palestinians, I'll just have to start calling them that, and, and uh, the Jewish peoples, uh, there's sort of all sorts of fighting amongst themselves and against us. Anyway, after World War II, there's a, another massive influx of Jewish people. And in 1948, Britain decides, along with most, most of its empire really, is to sort of abandon it and give up the empire. We handed it over to a UN. The UN would take over. Well, literally the day before, David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister of Israel, declares independence for an Israeli state in 1948. That sparks off the first Arab-Israeli war. There's a war. Um, the Jewish people essentially win it. But they don't get access to Jerusalem. Skip ahead to 1967, the Six Day War, where um, so there was Jordan, Syria, uh, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, and Egypt all declare war on Israel all at the same time, and within six days flat, Israel beats them all. I mean, that was a remarkable victory, that one. Right? Yeah. There's the the there's um, Moshe Dayan with the eye patch. You might have seen him, one of their great military generals. Anyway, they end up taking. Um, lots of territory, including the whole of Sinai and all of the West Bank, what we today call the West Bank, um, on the West Bank of the River Jordan. That's why that's called that. Um, and they decided at that point um, that they wouldn't occupy the Temple Mount. Um, it seems like opinions a bit different now, but back then, even a lot of uh, rabbis or orthodox Jewish thought was that they didn't necessarily need or want to occupy the Temple Mount. It's sort of so sacred. You don't need to pray there. You can pray at the, at the Wailing Wall. Right. Now, people, a lot of Jewish people and politicians today don't necessarily think that. They think it is, they should be able to. I'll get into that in a moment. Um, so they didn't occupy the Temple Mount or the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound, if you want to call it that. Um, but they were, for the first time, in centuries, able to visit the Wailing Wall and pray there and wail there in, in, in lament for the Second Temple. That's why it's 
Jerusalem as well. Construction of the Second Temple back in 70 AD by Titus, as we've mentioned. Um, okay, now, going on, ever since then, just nothing has stopped. You know, there's the Yom Kippur War in, what, 73, uh, where uh, Israel had to sort of had to take the Golan Heights. Um, what else is there? Just uh, some of the highlights. Um, there's the Camp David Accords, uh, where eventually Israel gave back the Sinai to, yeah. to Egypt. Sadat got himself executed off the back of that. Or, um, not executed, sorry, um, assassinated. Um, it just goes on and on and on. Yeah. Um, so mention the, the, the first intifada. So that starts in, what, 1987. Um, we've got to mention the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, mm. or one of their main factions is Fatah. You mentioned Yasser Arafat there. He was their, their leader from, what, the 60s all the way through to, he didn't die until 2004 or something. Mm. Um, uh, and then uh, you would have the Oslo Agreements, where was it Ehud Barak and Yasser Arafat, again at Camp David with Bill Clinton this time, agree things that neither side really kept to, but especially the the uh, the Fatah side. Yeah, the, the, this is what starts happening a lot from this point. The Americans come along with their ideas of democracy that basically don't work um, in populations like these. Mm. Right, yeah. So some people, some Israelis said at the time, there's no point trying to agree some sort of two-party state because they'll never, the other side will never, you're just giving them extra rope. I, I, wanted, I wanted to come back to the two-state solution later on because, I mean, they're get, getting to the point of uh, a solution to this mess is, I mean, it's utterly intractable. But, but yeah, we will have to come back and talk about They've that. They've tried many times. I mean, the Oslo agreements in, what, 1993 was that? Yeah. was a decent shot at it, but neither side, I think particularly the, the should, should we Arab talk side, about... are sort of not really capable of, of, of keeping it. They don't want to keep it. An organization like Hamas has got no intention of having a two-party, a two-state solution. Can, can, I qu can I quickly run through, as I understand it, the, the history of Hamas? Because I, th I think this is sort okay, of the yeah. end of the discussion well, We're talking well. about the 80s and 90s. Sure. Yeah, so, so Hamas founded in, in 87. It's an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood, as I understand. Um, and then this is really where the cycle starts to get bad for, for, for the people of Gaza. So um, they started off in the 80s and 90s as sort of low level, well, I say low level. There, there were attacks, but, that, but they were escalating attacks. Um, by the early 90s, I'm sure we all remember when we, were, when we were young people, the news out of Israel all the time with these suicide bombings. So they would go into cafes where a bunch of young people were and blow themselves up and take a whole bunch of Israeli kids with them. They, you know, they, they, they described themselves as an army, but they didn't go and fight the IDF. They went and blew up teenagers. Now, and, and this is where the whole cycle begins, because, of course, in response to teenagers being blown up, Israel starts saying, OK, well, we're going to put a border fence up. We're going to spot, start placing restrictions. Um, so so that, that continues. Then in 2006, there was an election because, again, this is the, the US idea of, well, we bombed Japan and Germany and we, then we gave them democracy and it all worked out. Yeah, but trying to push democracy onto low IQ populations in the Middle East doesn't bloody it's work it's the same way. <clears throat> trying to push democracy onto people who have... Um, um, a spiritual worldview, yeah, or a religious dogma that's yeah. got nothing really to do with what politicians decide amongst themselves. One thing I'd like to say, just before we get on to two thousand six, yeah, sure. is that <clears throat> in about the year two thousand, Ariel Sharon, who at the time was, uh, I mean, he was a, 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 a war hero as far as Israel concerned. In about two thousand, when he was only the leader of the opposition, he wasn't even the leader, I believe. Um, 
he decided to enter the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound, not do a speech there or anything, or not pray there or anything, but just to enter it. And um, that sent the uh, Palestinians a bit crazy. It started the second intifada, mm. um, which yeah, didn't end till like 05, 06. When in Gaza it got so bad, Israel said, right, we're just going to pull out entirely, 100% of Gaza, the Gaza Strip, and you, you, you can control it. And everyone thought, and they, had, they allowed them to hold elections. And everyone thought, well, Fatah would, would win that. Yeah. PLO would, would win any elections. Mm. Turns out Hamas won. Yeah, by, I mean, by it wasn't a very large margin, right? I mean, Fatah that... ended up controlling <laughs> the West Bank. But, yeah. So I remember that because I was sort of fully grown up. I was already like 25 or whatever. So my understanding is that I remember are... thinking, that's bad. Yeah. Oh, it definitely. That's pretty bad. But but my my point about you know not all of not all of Gaza is four square behind Hamas. I think there's 132 seats in their in their legislative legislative council, um, and Hamas won 74 of them. So it's 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 a bit over half. Um, but there there was plenty of opposition. Of course, the first thing that Hamas did once they'd won that election was promptly said about murdering all of their opposition. Well, they start they just had a bit of a civil war with Fatah straight yeah. straight away. <laughs> And they haven't held any elections since, which yeah. is very telling, isn't it? Uh, and then basically since then, what there's been is there was the rocket attacks. So we, I'm sure we all remember the rocket attacks. Yeah. Um, kidnappings, a lot of kidnappings. Tunnels, if you remember them, a lot of tunnels going underneath the border. Well, even Egypt said, you can't, we can't yeah. have that. That's, that's sort of beyond the pale. Yeah. Well, Hamas is declared a terrorist organization by Saudi Arabia, Egypt. Yeah. It's not just America and well, Israel. Well, they're not the Brotherhood, which is um, an implacable enemy of the Egyptians, the Saudis, um, I mean, a whole bunch of them. So, so e even other Arab nations that aren't fans of, of, of Hamas in any way. But basically what I, wanted, what, I, what I wanted to explain is because you then start to get into the cycle of the, the bombings, the suicide bombings, the rocket attacks, the kidnappings, the tunnels. Every time this happens, the Israeli response is, okay, well, we're going to increase restrictions some way. Um, so, I mean, there's even a naval blockade of Gaza because, because of the rockets coming in. There's an extremely tight border um, system around it. So when the, uh, the people in Gaza say they're kind of kept in a prison, well, yeah, they are, but that's because of the events of, you know, ever since they've elected Hamas, that have, have basically pushed these, you know, it's, it's ratcheted up this entire time. It's one of those things, if you've got um, a feral animal or somebody who's mentally ill, who will not listen to reason and cannot be controlled. Yes. What do you do with that? Mm. What yeah. do you do with that? You have to put them in a straitjacket or yeah. something. But, they have to be physically case, restrained. What else? You've got another choice. In this choice. case, they're the authority I mean, I, in control of two million people. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. It's, 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 it's a terrible state of affairs. Yeah. yeah. So let, let's just quickly explore the proposed solutions. So you've got the one-state solution, which... I would be very surprised if anyone in Israel really wanted to agree to. So the, the one-state solution is basically it's just, it's just all Israel, um, all people in Gaza and the West Bank have Israeli citizenship and you're, you're free to do as you please. I, su I suspect if, if, if we got the one-state solution, well, you just basically had what you had for the last two days. Just, yeah. They would just run riot. Yeah. And I mean, just to be clear as well, Israel's like 30% Arab, as I understand it. Yeah. So it's it's not like it's uh, ethnically homogenous or anything like that. It's more that you're going to give access to the civilian population. Oh, no, there's people who would probably do terrible things. Yeah, there's loads of Israeli um, Arabs mm. 
And I mean, there's even, I think that there's been a general in the IDF who is an Israeli Arab. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, loads of professional people in Israel are Arabs. Well, one point I'd like to make is that um, if you try and have resolution above and beyond what the BBC tell you or CNN, is that in fact, the real situation is extremely complex. Yeah. So there's obviously the Sunni Shia schism. You know, Hezbollah is, is Shiite and uh, Hamas are Sunni. Um, you know, you've got Salafists, Wahhabists, Alawites. There's the Druze people, the Circassian people. Yeah. It goes on and on and on. Yeah. Um, just to say there's just the, the, uh, the Palestinian Arabs. It's like, well, um, yes. that's, it's, that's, re- that's really low it, that, resolution. That in itself is, yeah. too, is too low resolution. Right, yeah. But, but yeah, um, one, one state solution definitely <laughs> isn't going to work. No. There are lots and lots of Arab Israelis mm-hmm. right there. It's not just like every Israeli is... Is Jewish. No, it, it, it is a Gaza problem. It is a Hamas problem, primarily. Hmm. Well, yeah. Um, but and, even that's low resolution, I grant you. Yeah. And they are, yeah, they're, it, they're, it's their raison d'etre. They're absolutely committed to extermination the, the, of Israel. The destruction of Israel. Um, so moving on then, the two state solution being separate states for the Israelis and the Palestinians. Which has been pushed for a long time and consistently fails mm-hmm. because you know, it's, just not, it's just not working. What's the three state solution? Well, the three-state solution is the only one that I think could work, which is basically um, Gaza goes to Egypt and the West Bank goes to Jordan. Now, that sort of feels viable. And the reason why it feels viable is because basically then you would have a situation where if there was attacks on Israel, it would be attacked from another state. Mm. And so Jordan and Egypt would be incentivized to basically keep the population control. And then you would have Arabs policing other Arabs, which would probably be far more brutal than the way the Israelis do it. Sure. But, um, you know, when, when an Arab beats up another Arab, no, nobody around the world cares, not, not least other Arabs. The problem is, is Jordan and Egypt have no interest. That's what I was going to say. No well, look, interest. I, doubt, I doubt either would yeah. go for that. Uh, yeah, look, well, let's go on to the geopolitical landscape then, because um, one, of the, one of the things that was uh, said by the Israelis is, oh, well, the people in Gaza should just leave. And of course they can't. Because uh, Egypt seals the border at the south, uh, the Israelis seal the border everywhere else, and of course have a naval blockade. Um, what are the options here? Well, I mean, there's there's a huge number of, of people in Gaza who who desperately want um, a passport from another Arab state. They want to get out, but they can't because nobody wants to take them. It is very convenient for other Arab states to say, "Oh, look at that! Isn't that awful?" Um, but they 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 don't lift a finger mm. to help the situation in the slightest. Mm. Mm. Isn't that cynical? Yeah, very. Very cynical. I mean, everybody involved in this at a state level is incredibly cynical. But the Palestinian people, particularly those in Gaza, the innocent ones anyway, are just completely being used as pawns. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. Well, and, and this, this is my big concern with this stuff because, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we've all seen that tweet of the, of the woman from the IDF um, who, who worked in intelligence, and she's saying... There's no way that this was an accident. Um, well, that, I, I see. So yeah, I tweeted about this. I, mean, like, look, I just assumed the border was militarized. What happened? But then people did give me fairly reasonable explanations of how they'd got through. What, what was the Perhaps, best reasonable explanation? Well, the, the reasonable explanation is um, it was uh, a, attacks apparently at um, low interest areas. Um, and so there was something like 40 guards stationed. They were overrun by militants. They used bulldozers to tear down the wall and uh, used gliders to get over it in other parts. Um, and it apparently just came as a surprise. Now, 
okay, fair enough. That's how they physically got in. But is it reasonable to believe that Israeli intelligence had no idea? Yeah, my my only concern on this is, I mean, I've never worked in intelligence, so I don't know. But I, I would imagine, imagine the key issue, especially in the age of electronics, the issue is not um, trying to find intelligence. It's trying to filter it. Yeah, they probably. I mean, they they probably pick up on four hundred plots to invade Israel every single day and have for the last twenty or thirty years. But the the issue is is filtering it down. But yeah, there are serious questions being raised because now the Egyptians are coming forward and say, "Well, we tried to warn you that something like this was going to happen and it was ignored." Mm. So there, there there is some speculation that this was allowed to happen or that filtering mechanism went went wrong somewhere up the track. Mm. Now my concern with this is 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 I'm worried. Okay, in what world does this attack make sense for, Palace, for, for Hamas, right? Because Hamas cannot win against Israel. They can't. But if they can drag somebody like Iran into it and make this a regional conflict, suddenly their, their um, chance of success shoots up dramatically. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it does, it does, it does shoot up dramatically. Yeah, they, they have to use a kind of like judo move. Yeah. Uh, like as in provoke Israel to commit atrocities in Gaza. And maybe that's why these attacks were horrific and as broadcast as they were. Entirely possible. And what, what, just a quick thing as well. Um, as I understand it, these tactics actually seem more advanced than usual for Hamas. The, yeah. Like, where did they get 5,000? Because normally, because a, a lot of people say, well, how did the rockets get past the Iron Dome? So, well, apparently it was just overwhelmed uh, with the just sheer volume of rocket fire. Um, but of course, how do you get? 5,000 rockets into a barricaded, blockaded, open-air prison. Yeah. Two things. Um, first of all, I don't think Iron Dome's ever been 100%. No, no, no. It's not that it's 100%. Also, Hamas, it's interesting that Hamas are Sunni, I believe, uh, but get a lot of their funding and arms from Iran, which is obviously Shiite. And possibly Qatar as well. And, and Qatar, yeah. Their leader usually resides in Doha, in Qatar. They get a lot of backing from Turkey find Ergodan shaking hands with the leader of Hamas. Um, but which, which gives way to my regional conflict point. So I think it's one of two things probably. Either that, that they're playing some 3D chess trying to get Iran involved in a much, much wider conflagration. Or they just don't care necessarily about the repercussions to themselves. Yeah, Here's just a chance to butcher so it, a load it, of Israelis it pure, and it's as simple as that we're just going to do that animalistic um, we're just going to oh, hurt dear. them and we're not even thinking about what happens the following day what I'm saying is is if there is a tactic actually it does kind of make sense it makes tactical it doesn't make any moral there's no moral justification but there is a strategic justification <coughs> for making these attacks as horrific as possible and then and I've heard a whole bunch of Hamas um, spokesmen go out and say oh yeah Iran helped us yeah well yeah, and you see the Warhawks in America banging the drum about Iran constantly, specifically in the Nikki Haley types yeah. uh, and lots of other people, just because it probably is that Iran has funded this. And one, one, like, one thing I would point out, the sort of doctrinal differences between Iran and Hamas and things like that, I imagine they become very remote when you're dealing with um, what they consider to be like an illegitimate Jewish settler colony in the Middle East. Like, uh, you know, that's... They can agree on that, at least. Yeah, exactly. They can agree on that. We're both Muslims. We'll have, our, we'll, we'll have the philosophical conversation about who's the right kind of Muslim later. And so I can totally see how they would be able to work together. Quite possibly. If I had to guess, I would say it was more likely <coughs> that it is uh, Hamas in collusion with Iran. Or it seems 
very likely, in fact. But I'm you, just saying it's a possibility yeah, that but you, but Hamas are just least... acting on their own. Uh, well, not on their own, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Um, politically. With, with no that, further intent. Yeah. They're, but, they're... But you see where this leads us because the neocons in Israel and US have been champing at the bit for war with Iran for decades. I don't think they're going to let this opportunity slip. I think they're going to, I, I think that basically Hamas has given it a push and the neocons will take it from here, thank you very much. So we could be in the situation where Hamas and the neocons in the US and Israel all have the same objective, which is war with Iran. Now, you've got to remember that Iran is not as isolated as we like to think it is. I mean, it's just been invited to join BRICS. Yeah. With China yeah. in it. Yeah. Um, you just laid out the connections between a whole select, I mean, Turkey um, and a whole select, Qatar and a whole bunch of other nations around it. Now, now probably my base case is that this conflict will be like all of the other ones which is basically they'll be fighting for a couple of months and then there'll be a ceasefire and then it will just simmer. That's probably what's going to happen. But it's also not impossible that this turns into a regional conflict that draws in multiple countries and then it starts drawing in the US, China, all the rest of it and you're in, you're in a World War III situation. I don't think that's going to happen, but it is possible. Yeah, the idea that Iran and Israel are on a collision course with each other, mm. it does seem quite likely as well. Uh, they, it's, it's hardly not uh, it's hardly unprecedented as well right yeah yeah that's not a hot take <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly all right, all right okay so I mean <laughs> Iran the leaders of Iran ever since 1979 and the Islamic revolution in Iran yeah. um, it's been part of their talking points to roll Israel into the sea yeah things like that things on that level which completely lines up with Hamas same sort of thing oh, destru complete destruction and from Israel, Israel's point of view yeah. they say things like um, Iran is our number one antagonist, our number one enemy. We will not, I've seen old Netty say more than once, we will not let them get nuclear weapons. Which well, is probably and, and why they will, keep getting assassinated and you think, scientists. Well, th th this is the essential neocomposition because they, they firmly believe that it's only a matter of time until Iran get nuclear weapons. And they also firmly believe that as soon as Iran gets nuclear weapons, they'll be passed to people like Hamas who will then take them into Israel and use them. So they believe it is an existential risk to take out the leadership of Iran before they get to the point of nuclear weapons, which is why you can see some people are making the claim that maybe this one was allowed, this attack was allowed, but you know, the intelligence purposely looked away. I don't know if I believe that or not. I've got no idea. But you know, we, we will find out more in the years ahead. But you can, you can see that it's not completely inconceivable that eyes were turned because it was judged that a small attack now is preferable to allowing a million people die in Jerusalem in a nuclear attack 10 years down the line because this is the moment that they need to go after Iran. Well, it's the thing that has happened throughout history a number of times is that you sort of allow an attack on yourself um, and it gives you a casus belli. For a, the greater good. Calls for war. Um, the thing that springs to mind is sort of maybe the, the Mukden Bridge incident or the Marco Polo Bridge incident in Japan and China. You sort of either fabricate or just simply turn a blind eye to allow yourself to be taxed or even fabricate it yourself. Yeah. <clears throat> and then you've got, um, you've got the political reason to do a war that you want. Yeah. Uh, that's very cynical to say that, <coughs> to suggest that the Israeli intelligence services must yeah, have I'm, turned I'm, I'm a not blind eye. I, but I, 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 yeah, I can, I can understand said, the narrative behind you it. You said it's possible and I think it's possible. Yeah. 
But who knows? We'll have to see how this thing breaks, which way it goes, what comes out. And, and, and I'll tell you, the other thing concerns me is not, not just the situation over there, but the situation over here, because we, we now have large Arab populations. And of course, the ideological left in this country is full square behind a lot of this thinking. Well, on that note, let's, let's go and speak to the ideological left. Um, I don't know where you've got this lined up, John, but can we go for the, uh, the first one from my bit, please? Um, not this one. Uh, yeah, no, no, go back. Sorry. Uh, sorry, right, right. So, yeah, let's let's talk talk about what the left's reaction to the attack in Israel a bit. Now, this is, I, as you can see, with 23 million views and 100,000 likes, um, pretty much just the summary of the ideological left's position on the Hamas attack at Israel. As you can see there, Najma Sharif has said, what do you all think decolonization meant? Vibes, papers, essays, losers. Yep. Uh, not like this, then what? Show us lol. Um, right. So in response to seeing uh, Israeli women and children being raped and massacred and carted off as sex slaves, just like things were done in the old days, uh, this was one Somali woman's... She lives in Minnesota, by the way. So I don't know what... Uh, Right, she has to talk about decolonization, but um, but this appears to be what they want to happen. Uh, the word decolonization has been used a lot in the past few days because it's an old word, and so you've got someone like Ashley here who's like, "Well, this is a totally stable reaction." It's like, uh, "Yeah, but what did she's literally telling you? What do you think decolonization meant?" She's this is a stable reaction because they've been saying it for years. This is what they mean. This is in fact what they want to happen to you. Such a mask off moment. Uh, well, the thing is, the mask has never really been on. Oh, yes. It's yes. just, and, and I, yes. nobody's been listening to them. Yes. You know, nobody has been listening to them. And so there was quite um, a backlash to, uh, to people like, again, uh, famous porn star Mia Khalifa, who decided she was fully on board the yes, Israeli women and children need to die. Um, can please someone tell the freedom fighters in Palestine to flip their phones horizontal? Now, again, I'm just using a couple of these examples uh, because they're just emblematic of yeah. what we have seen. And there's just been, as soon as this happened, there's just a slew from the left of just, oh, this is good. We need more of it. It's pretty awful. Um, this got her fired, incidentally, the, uh, from Playboy. Who, Playboy is run by a Jewish man. And he was like, well, um, that's disgusting. Uh, and so, so she replies, well, you know, uh, my, I'd say my supporting Palestine has lost me business opportunities, but I'm more angry at myself for not checking whether or not I was entering into business with the Zionists. It's like, really? Right. So Zionists are bad, and it's actually okay when they're getting slaughtered, uh, says one Lebanese porn star who can't return to Lebanon because of her career. <laughs> What is there to say, really? I, I, you know, um, I, I can't comment on this. I mean, where would you start? I suspect yeah. Mia Khalifa hasn't got a particularly nuanced view of the, of no, the conflict. No, uh, and it, it's not. Really, it's, <clears throat> it's not really. What her. do I know? Perhaps she's a scholar. It's it's not really her. This was just yeah. emblematic of the popular response from the sort of yeah, right, yeah, right. the modern left. Um, and of course, uh, she's like, well, I want to make this clear. This in no way, shape, or form. Uh, a way of inciting violence. But you'll see what they have automatically done, and we'll go through a few more, and you'll see exactly what they do, is assume that Hamas are the legitimate authority of Palestine and just characterize them as Palestinians. The Hamas attack, no, 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 there's no 
4D chess going on. There's no international political game being played. It's not that they're a tyrannical terror group that took over, killed their opposition, and prevented any further elections and prevent any kind of peace process from going forward due to a kind of medieval-style honor and hubris where they think that they'll be able to somehow just believe hard enough and take over and destroy Israel and kill all the Israelis. Um, no, this is just totally normal, totally legitimate, as if they're a representative government. Um, and so, again, this is what the Palestinian freedom fighters is how she characterizes Hamas. It's like, okay, they seem to be awful. You know, I don't know how to describe it else. Um, but, uh, yeah. I mean, she was genuinely reveling in this, that she deleted this. As you can see, it's uh, some Palestinians driving past an Israeli police car and shooting. Uh, this is a Renaissance painting, she says. I mean, that's just awful. But at least some Israeli is being murdered by a Palestinian, which seems to be entirely the sentiment. She she ended up walking this back a bit, saying, well, I mean, I didn't say that Hamas were the Palestinians. It's like, there was Hamas doing it. And you kind of did harmonize the two. And then we get this one by Rivka Brown. Now, you might be thinking, who's Rivka Brown? Um, can we can we hover over commissioning editor and reporter at Navarra Media? Okay. She says, today should be a day of celebration for supporters of democracy and human rights worldwide as Gazans break out of their open-air prison and Hamas fighters cross into their colonizers' territory. The st struggle for freedom is really bloodless and we shouldn't apologize. If she's trying to make the argument that they're doing this for democracy and human rights, and human rights. Let's let's remember that the moment that Hamas won their one election, they immediately set about murdering the opposition, and there's never yep. been an election since. Yep. Whatever Hamas are doing, it's not for bloody democracy. I don't think we'd say it was for human rights either. No, I think I think both of those claims are rather weak, to be honest. No, they're they're clearly doing it for Islam or for jihad or whatever it is yeah. they think, or for their land. But no, democracy and human rights is certainly not. But that's the commissioning editor at Navarra Media. Uh, no backlash there. Yep. I mean, imagine if that was Rory saying something similar. This will not impact her career in the slightest, if anything. Will only not happen. even slightly. Um, Aaron Bastani's got a comment on that tweet. I, uh, does he? No, no. Do oh, no I, if we no, were to I, ask him, what I do you think of that? No, I retweeted this and tagged him, so this is an interesting right. statement, Aaron. What did he no do? reply. Uh, he replies to a lot of my other stuff, just not this one. Yeah, it's nothing quite telling, this isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, and it's not just, of course, these people on Twitter, there have been, as you can see, communists out in the streets with pro-Palestinian activists um, where they cheer that this attack happened because they want this attack to happen. They want these people to be dragged into the streets, raped and murdered. They want the children to be kidnapped. They're saying it. They're just totally open about it. And then you've got like a GB News commentator. Palestinians have done more in five minutes than Zelensky has done with 75 billion. Humiliation is another seven. As if this is wonderfully impressive, what Hamas have just done. Again, this is someone who's on GB News. <sighs> like, this is crazy. Extraordinary. And, and, and yet, we've we just had a week where what happened to Lawrence Fox? Yeah, La yeah. Yeah, this is fine. Yeah, exactly. Lawrence Fox comments on whether he finds a woman attractive, three people fired. She says this, nothing Ce happens. Celebration of the, of the murder and rape of women and children. Quick yeah. broader point, just super quick broader point. I've never, <clears throat> I've never been able to understand the, the connection between leftism and Islam. 
It's never really made sense to me. It, it is purely because they see Islam as a revolutionary force that can destroy the West. But it will turn on them immediately after traditionalists and conservatives. They don't, they don't it think was an alliance that. between the left and the Islamists. And the moment the Islamists had power, the left were put up against the wall first. Right, yeah. right, right. But, but the, How the, do they not know that? Or not they don't know anything. That. Though, do they? These, these are Marcuse's um, radicalized students who don't realize that once they bring around the revolution, that's going to be the first case of all. They... they they are genuine, true believers. They're insane. You know, like how someone can be a, a feminist mm-hmm. and an Islamist apologist yeah. at the same time. It's how and, does and, that and we've just make seen, any sense? We've just seen how does that raped, make any sense? I've raped women being dragged around on the back of yeah. pickup trucks by the Islamists. Yeah. I, I, I did see um, one Western feminist tweet, uh, re, you know, revolutionary uprisings against colonialism shouldn't involve rape of women. And I retweet it and go, okay, but they do. What now? But it does. Obviously, she privated her account. So, but like you know, you've got the the very ideological position. But I think really what it is is they never think they're going to lose control, right? That's why I think it is. I think they have such a superior view of themselves and such an inferior view of the colonized that they think that these people will never actually be in control, running through the streets, shooting people, raping people, blah blah. So they think it'll never be them. They always assume. There's going to be some Western power structure that can impose law and order, um, which, of course, is not always true. They should look into Lebanon. Yeah. So I had a look at this. And in 2021, um, because you'll notice that they will complain shortly about collective punishment. So in 2021, a poll found that 53% of Palestinians believe that Hamas is most deserving of representing and leading the Palestinian people, where only 14% preferred Fatah, which I think is interesting. Um, because you get people like Mehdi Hassan, who are like, well, Israel cutting off the water supply and electricity to Gaza is collective punishment. Okay, so is butchering a group of Israelis collective punishment for the actions of the state of Israel? I mean, he's not wrong, but it's just how do you not see that both sides are well, collecti- but, doing collective punishment on each other? Exactly. Both sides uh, believe in collective punishment. So yes. when the Palestinian defenders go, oh, well, you can't do this to us, this is collective punishment. Well, you can't just go into a music festival and butcher a bunch of Israeli teenagers because that is also part of your collective punishment. So you know, no side is any better than the other. There, but at least the Israelis are civilized. I would say, like uh, they, I, I retweeted, um, I think it was Jeffrey Miller, who's just like, look, when one side doesn't rape and murder women and children in the street, but bombs people and kills, causes civilian casualties, and the other is proudly presenting the sort of seventh-century savagery as being good and noble. I actually am going to side with just the the ones that are slightly more civilized. So, I, I have to draw it out a bit. I mean, I have to make a clear distinction between Hamas and um, the population, although I acknowledge a lot of the population. Oh, yeah, yeah. Supported, I'm, and also I'm the not, Israeli people in the Israeli government. Well, I'm against the collective punishment of both, but like, yeah. You know, like, but the point, the point being, they can't, they have no position to complain because they're all cheering on the rape and murder of women and children and innocent civilians. And then yeah, saying, oh, don't collectively yeah. punish us. Well, you are in favor of collective punishment as long as it's going the right way. Yes. Um, if I can just uh, grab some of these, which are just remarkable. Uh, and so this is how they rationalize it. Uh, they view the Israelis as not civilians, right? Uh, when you steal the land of others and deny them basic human rights, you don't really get to be a civilian. So literally, as you can say, they're committed to a course of action where any one of them can be murdered at any time and they have to go, yes, you're, it's okay to murder me because I'm an American living on indigenous soil. So if a Native American killed me, well, I'm not really a non-political civilian. 
So there is no such thing as just uh, civilian casualties, which shoes. Uh, Lefties them. just shouldn't try and do logic because <laughs> well, it goes terribly wrong. For them it, it's like no, they're being perfectly logically consistent here. It's just what they're advocating for is just monstrous, and it would be uh, awful. So um, yeah, then uh, I suppose we'll go to the threat of what's going on in European cities. So for those listening, this is a large group of, I would imagine, um, um, Arab Australians stood outside the Sydney Opera House chanting, gas the Jews. Mm. And there, there are populations like this now in every West. Like the city. ISIS flag there? Yeah. Right. Because we have, in, in the West, we have driven the most amount of immigration that we could possibly manage. And so we now have large populations in all of our cities who are as we can evidently see here, in favour of the extermination of another group of people who live in those cities. Yeah, and this Sadiq Khan had to put out a statement saying, yes. uh, "We will present, we will protect the Jewish citizens of London," and it seemed very much like a pointed message to a certain demographic, say, "Don't even think about it," um, which is very interesting, I thought. But I mean, how do we? I mean, so let, let's say my worst case scenario plays out. It escalates to a war with Iran. That becomes a regional conflict. And then basically it becomes perceived as what it really is, which is a Muslim-Jewish war. Yeah. If that's happening, and then what you're going to be, what you're then going to get is you're going to get the social media feeds of both sides filled up with dead kids all the time. So, so yeah. these populations are going to be fed a constant stream of dead Muslim children yeah. and, and vice versa on the other side. Yeah. How does this not blow up every European city? Well, there is, I think, going to be bloodletting in the streets. Yeah. Secretarian violence, bombings, all the rest. I mean, we're already seeing um, shops in Golders Green, a, a very Jewish area yep. of London, getting smashed. It's only a matter of time until some young Jewish kid gets dragged off the street. And Well, there, were, there was some Jews who was shot in Egypt shortly yeah. after the uh, I mean, attack. I mean, e Egypt, Egypt, okay. But, <coughs> but this could be oh, yeah, yeah. European cities. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, there's, yeah, but yeah, so it, it just appears that we have a large number of people who live here now who are deeply invested in this country. And, 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 and Europe, the Western world made a choice to get as many of them as it possibly could. Uh, yes. And we are now going to have to deal with the fallout of the fact that multiculturalism is a, is a sick joke that doesn't work. Uh, well, the problem with multiculturalism is that the, different cultures have brought their own baggage with them yeah. and aren't prepared to stay in the prescribed boundaries that the state and progressives thought that they would. Oh, well, we can make them live side by side and there'll be no problem. It's like, okay, but what happens when you have an intractable problem like this that is something that spills out regardless of where in the world these people are? Yeah, and, and it's not a problem. Um, it's, 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 not, it's not our problem. I mean, I, I understand that there's a British history involved in all of this, but, but now it is very much a problem of everybody who lives in but the no, city. None of them are saying, oh, the British are a response. You know? No. Like, no. They, they don't, we, we are definitely bystanders to this conflict. Yeah, exactly. Um, of Not many. I mean, it's all pretty self-evident, isn't it, what's going on? Um, it's interesting that you know, some have got Palestinian flags, some have got ISIS flags, some have got Lebanese flags. Saw a lot of people in London with Turkish flags. Because so, what what I think is interesting is a lot of this isn't necessarily ethnic and seems to be religious. Right. Yeah. Right. That's the thing. Are you Palestinian? Are you an Arab? Muslim. Or are you Muslim? Yeah. And then because there is, well, yeah. 
Well, I saw I saw lots of um, uh, people on Twitter uh, th- saying things like "These are my people," and then you check their bios, and they're like from Turkey. From, and it's like, okay, so when you say "mine," you must mean the Ummah, right? Not they're Turkish, obviously, not ethnically. And and in Europe, we we think much more in terms of ethnic lines, right? So you know, if you know, when we're when the British are bomb, you know, when we are bombing Germany. I don't think, oh, that's Dresden, that's my people, you know, because I'm like, okay, but they were the Germans, we were the war with them. But that's not how these people are looking at this conflict, I think. It's interesting that there's, in a terrifying way, that there's, from Morocco to Indonesia, um, mm. uh, a collective solidarity? Yeah, with Palestine. Mm. Um, to be fair, that sort of collective identity, group identity, is something that, that actually most groups do, with the exception of white Europeans. Possibly. We, we, we just don't see the world in that way. We, we tend to have an outgroup preference, if anything, particularly yeah. on the left. Um, and, and on that basis, we filled up our cities with people who have a very strong in-group preference and in many cases, mm. centuries-long blood feuds. And we, we, we are now going to come up against the reality of, what's, of, of what we've done to our cities mm. um, when, when global events spiral out as they, as they look like they're about to. And I, th- I think it's worth adding as well that there, there's moral wrong on both sides here. Both sides have a litany of things that have been done to them uh, by the other. Yeah, absolutely. I don't feel like it's not necessarily completely fair to just utterly dunk on Muslims here. I mean, no. where, where Ben Gurion <laughs> declared Israel in 1948, that, there was going to be repercussions to that. Mm. How did they not think that there would be sort of endless repercussions? And to that, that there were atrocities done. Um, Right. against the Arab population of Palestine. There were atrocities done. And so, and the settlers thing, um, you know, obviously they don't, in my opinion, don't deserve death or anything. No. And of the two sides, the Israelis do seem to be, or are, less barbaric. Absolutely. But sort of, there is a long list of, of uh, mistakes, should we say, on their side. But uh, it's, yeah, there are lots of dead people on, on both sides. So, just the idea that both engage in collective punishment, just right there. Yeah, they do. Just right there. I mean, so you're going to, then you're locked into a really, cycle of violence. Unavoidable at the stage. So you're locked. Well, yeah. oh, right. Well, quite, yeah. So, I mean, we, we, we're going to have to watch this one with trepidation because, of course, um, it would be nice to think that, you know, this one will be wrapped up neatly in a couple of weeks, but it seems unlikely. And that, you know, this is, this is going to, well, I mean, this, this is the new current thing. I mean, I mentioned before we came on air that I went to the BBC homepage, I went to Sky News, I went to CNN and did a search, Control F for Ukraine. Not a peep. But this has been bubbling under the surface for many years. And as you can see, like, this is the response to them attacking Israel. Right? They attacked Israel. The, the Hamas, the Muslim world, as far as they view it, attacks Israel. And then they get out and they're cheering it on, like, excited. You know, we've we've stepped in something here that I really don't want to be a part of. Well, just as I say, it's hard. Or one of the many things, it's very hard. Sort of Temple Mount, the Al Aqsa compound, there. That's sort of an intractable dilemma. No, there's no there's um, no solution to any of it. Right. So not only is it not going to go away in a couple of weeks, it may never go away. Or may, let's never say never. We've got tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of years left no, but, in but, civilization. But our but lifetime, certainly. It's right. Yeah. I don't see it ever coming to an end in anyone's lifetime that's alive today. No, of course not. Um, Should we go to the video comments? Yes. Happy birthday, Dan. An excellent addition to the Lotus Eaters team and an interesting man 
during interesting times. Cheers. Yeah, let's get to the next one. Appreciate that. Yeah, that's right, Dan. This is a special birthday cameo, and it's just for you. Hey, yo, Dan. I just wanted to wish you a happy birthday, you know? I travel for miles to put a smile on your face. Yo, Dan. Happy birthday. You're cool. I'm parted. I'm here to say happy birthday. This takes the cake. This is so cool. You, Daniel. Today, it's all about you. Okay, we'll we'll leave the rest of them. We'll do them tomorrow or next week. Appreciate that. Uh, just feels totally wrong. Yeah. Um, uh, the Shadow Band has sent us a chat on Rumble, which is thanks for having Bo on. His depth of knowledge of ancient history always makes these a lot of fun to watch. And Sophie echoes Thank the sentiment, you. saying, That's "Very kind of you." Yeah. Um, I never rewatch these podcasts. I mean, why would I? Of course, it's a current events podcast. But I'll have to rewatch this one and take notes. Bo is really shining here. There is so much. It's very nice. Yeah, you give some really valuable uh, perspective on that. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Hope it hasn't wasn't too biased one way or the other. Um, but, uh, I think the main problem is just that because there's such a long history in the region, you have to skip over so many details. Because there's like one of the things I wanted to point out is like Judaism as a religion is not the same Judaism of King David. You know, it's like these things have changed over the three thousand odd years that we're dealing with. Same with Islam and Christianity over those thousands of years. So it's, there's just so much to talk about. It's just like. We've Tom Holland's book in the Shadow of the Sword is largely nominally about Islam. Actually, talks a lot about Judaism. Yeah, that's a good book. book. That one. Yeah, it's a very good book. Yeah. yeah, no, it's really great. We, should, we can do a book club on it sometime if you want. I've read it. Uh, Ethelstan says, regardless of your position on the conflict, who started it, who has the right for claim, who has committed the worst atrocities, I think there are two indisputable things here. One, this was an appalling attack, barbaric in its nature, that specifically targeted civilians. Two, it's terrifying to see so many people celebrating the attack. I do not see British people uh, pro or anti-war celebrating the streets as the bombs landed in Baghdad or Kabul. Yeah, but the thing is, our that's that that's the thing, isn't it? Like, we go to war as part of a kind of political necessity. Um, these people are at war for deeply held, deeply rooted emotional uh, beliefs, like you can call it the sort of blood feud. Um, yep. And it sprung to mind there. Do you remember when there was a female US soldier, Lindy something, yeah, I remember in Abu Ghraib yeah, yeah. jail, yeah. doing things that were unseemly? Yes. Our reaction to that was to be horrified. Yeah. And to, to sort of endlessly apologize, essentially, for yeah. it. Yeah. Rather than revel in it and dance in the streets. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the reveling which is so shocking about it. But that's. Well, do you remember so, after 9 11, all sorts of yes. people were. So literally so, dancing in the streets. Just so. to just to steel man the opposition point, they would say, "Well, for the last fifty years or whatever, we've been living in an open air prison and constantly um, maligned, degraded, and stifled with no help, and therefore this is a just attack at an oppressive force." And it's not that there's no truth to that. You know, mm. I know I'm not. I'm not in any way. I wanted to justify. make that a couple of times. Yeah. This, that it's not it, it, both sides. Are, it's not are, one are guilty side. of crimes yeah. here. I want to make that absolutely clear. Actually, yeah, yeah. Both sides have done disgusting criminal things to each other. Um, yeah. Just in this case, it well, was I, Hamas, though. This time, and 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 how, and how could you not? I mean, if you, on both sides are probably no people or have family members who've been killed in this conflict. How do you not take that rage into your next encounter with them? Right. Mm. 
But Texas Gal says, really looking forward to this. I can honestly say the whole situation has just confused me. The propaganda on both sides is always so over the top. I don't know what to believe. Well, I mean, whenever whenever there's some sort of breaking event like this where it's highly charged and, I mean, there, there has been a lot of fake footage going around and fake claims. It, honestly, I tried to leave it a few days at the very least before I have any kind of take on anything because uh, it's just the nature of the business. Uh, Lord Nerevar says, so how, pray tell, did the nation with the most advanced intelligence network in the world, 70 years experience dealing with Hamas, managed to miss the 5,000 rockets being prepped to Tel Aviv and the old boys Fortnite gliding over the border fence, activates the almonds. Well, I mean, that is a question because, of course, Netanyahu was having internal political problems, right? And suddenly, I imagine they seem less relevant now, which is uh, one of the things that's str- one of the pillars that's strengthening that argument. Uh, but of course, I have no idea. You know, I've seen nothing. I've got no reason to think other than the kind of conspiratorial view of it. Yeah. Uh, Gregory says, thank you in advance for this. I've always been confused what, what the conflict is between the two. This might explain why there's so much hate for Israel. Um, yeah. And why there's hate for Palestine as well. To be honest. I haven't watched Ben Shapiro's podcast on it yet, but I've seen his tweets. It's just like, oh. I, I don't like what this is turning people into at all, you know? So I actually quite enjoy Ben Shapiro's commentary usually, but then as soon as it's like Hamas attacking Israel, and he's just like, right, wipe them all out. Well, so, you, you, I find him obnoxious. He becomes well, sure, tribal I, incredibly I quickly. <laughs> Sorry? It becomes tribal instantly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't like it at all. Uh, Andy says, <laughs> I haven't got a dog in this fight, so I hope the UK still is well clear of this asshole. Yeah, we're not going to. Maria says, the wider Western world needs to wake up to the fact that the barbarians at the gates don't care to discuss terms. They seek to eradicate Western values and ideology, no matter how weak such values and ideology has become. Well, I mean, that's one of the reasons why it's so concerning. There are so many of them in our cities. Yep. Bongun says, little perspective on the electric and the water. I agree that turning off the water is a bit far, but Israel has been supplying the entire Gaza Strip with free water and electricity for decades. Uh, but that's probably because they don't have access to water. Well, they, they, they can... They can drill wells, but it's, right. that, is, that in itself is insufficient. Right, right, okay. Uh, Citizen Philosopher Detroit says, Welcome to the next 18 months of free Palestine from every leftist you know. It's almost like the barbarism and brutality of the Palestinian terrorists is irrelevant because the Marxist framing of Israel as an oppressor, less than always want brutality because of Viva the Revolution. Uh, yeah, it's, we're never going to hear the end of this. Um, <coughs> I think... Um, Apologies. And I think it will be conveniently forgotten that Hamas led this horrific attack when in like says 18 months' time the Israelis have blown the crap out of Gaza. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's a big it's a fairly big strip of land. As I say, a couple of million people in it. I don't know how that you can't really they couldn't actually carpet bomb it, I don't think. And even if they sent quarter of a million men to go street to street, that's still a massive, massive operation that would take a long, 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 long time. Yeah. I don't know if you remember in Iraq, uh, the Americans' the second battle of Fallujah in Iraq. It was it's street to street, house to house, room to room fighting like that. Well, and, and also it's quite it's as as yeah, it's as quite stacked it up. Gets. So it would be up and down stairs as well. I mean, it would just it's an absolute it nightmare. Would, to it would be a nightmare. That. Yeah, it would be an absolute nightmare. Yeah. yeah. And I, I tell you where, where my concern is that it's leading. It, it, it will lead to um, 
getting so bad that there's some sort of solution offered, which is something along the lines of, oh, let's just take them all to Europe then. Really, they, they can't go to any other Arab-speaking nation in the local vicinity? No, because that would have happened a long time ago, if, if any other... I mean, th- th- this has been proposed numerous times that some other Arab nation takes it, yeah, yeah. and it's just a point-blank no. Mm. Uh, Biggie Bigfoot says, It's maddening to me that people on the left are choosing the optics of supporting Palestine over the condemnation of literal terrorism. Meanwhile, the more NPC types confused as to which side they should be supporting, fearing they will be labelled as either Islamophobic or anti-Semitic by their own ideological BS. The whole affair is eye-opening, to say the least. Uh, yeah, and I think that's really just... The thing is, when it comes to Israel and Palestine, I don't want to take a side. Because uh, like we said, there's crimes on both sides, and there's claims on both sides, and it's not my business. But when you've got Western leftists saying, yeah, that's good, and we should decolonize here too... Well, that is my business, actually, and yeah, I, yeah. I do have a side on that. Yeah. And actually, now at least we know what they mean by decolonization. Quite. Uh, Ignacio says, I'll be blunt, even though I don't uh, have that much to do with Israel. My self-interest, I'm more, inter- um, I'm more in support of Israel just for the fact that it results in Islamist deaths and keeps them in check. Are Israelis perfect angels? No, but the Islamists are outright savage barbarians. Well, I mean, that is definitely one perspective on it as well. Um, I mean... I don't really see what choice Israel has either way, but to announce they have to dehamasify Gaza, right? Yeah. Like they don't, they don't have much choice. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure it has to be that, but achieving it is going to be. Oh, it's going to be awful. terrific. Yeah. I mean, like, like Bo to said, you know, this is going to be the worst kind of warfare from anyone's perspective, really. Yeah. yeah room clearing of a whole city of two million people. Yeah, that's twenty-five miles long and eight miles wide. Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably full of young men who are desperate to kill you. Yeah, well, and also, like I mentioned earlier, half, half of them are children. So the collateral damage is going to be significant, and then that's yeah. going to inflame everything on the, in, in the Muslim world. Anyway, I guess we'll leave it there. Thank you for joining us, folks. I hope we've managed to do this some justice. Uh, and, well, I guess we'll see you tomorrow. See you then. Yeah.